Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your business's or restaurant's recycling program. Welcome to episode number 168 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording right here in the not-so-sleepy town of Jackson Hole in rural western Wyoming. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today, and welcome to all of you new listeners. Support for this episode comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, who is encouraging you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost to make a positive impact on the road to zero waste. And additional support comes from Jackson Hole Marketplace, a little market with a ton to offer. Visit jhmarketplace.com to peruse our intentionally curated gift basket ideas. Have one delivered to your doorstep today. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. My mission is to bring you fascinating stories so we can connect with other people we might know or that we might not know. So get out there and share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or all of those social media channels that you know. Do a little share from your phone. It's easy. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see each day walking around town, drinking coffee, and hanging out at the local places around town. I feel that we all have a story to share, and sharing stories allows us to all learn and grow so we can live full lives. And my guest today is Emily Cohen. She is the executive director of our local nonprofit community radio station, 89.1 on the dial, K-Hole. Before moving to Jackson, Emily's worked on some interesting projects and has worked at some impactful organizations. Because I don't want to spill the beans, you'll just have to listen to Emily's interview to learn what is probably the most recorded folk song known to our ears, a little project she's been working on. And what else does Emily share? Well, do you know the difference between a fiddle and a violin? And which music do you play with which instrument? As a fiddle player, Emily will enlighten us on all of these details. And what is the most obtained media that Americans use to get information? You might just be a little surprised. Well, Emily, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection podcast. Lovely to have you here today. Thanks for having me. It's great to meet you. Uh, wonderful to meet you as well, and I look forward to meeting you in person. I'm sure we'll, we'll connect paths in this small town sooner than later, for sure. Let's start off with where did you grow up and how did you land here in Jackson Hole? How long have you been here? I've been here almost four years. It'll be four years in about two weeks. Um, I'm actually originally from Washington, D.C. and grew up just outside of the city, but had lived in D.C. more or less for the 10 years prior to moving here, although I've had lots of other stops in between, but D.C. is my home. You don't hear of many people that say that they're from actually D.C. Yeah, it's a pretty transient city. Um, I was born there and moved away, but yeah, it's there are a lot of people actually who are from there, but at the same time, it's a place that attracts people from all over the world, uh, and so people come for a few years stint as a diplomat or working for the government, and then often they do move on. But, you know, I like to say there's a distinction between 
Washington and DC, DC being the, where the people live and then Washington being the political city. Um, I was there recently and I only had the opportunity to experience the political city side of things. I didn't get to experience where people live, but uh, fascinating history. I love how uh, when we transition over to the eastern side of our country, how much history there is because we're still new in the West when compared to out here. Totally. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a pretty fascinating place to grow up for sure. Yeah. I've been lucky. So you've moved here about four years ago and you are now the executive director of K-Hole, our local nonprofit community radio station. What brought you out here to Jackson? I came out for a job as a city, as a community planner or a county planner rather um, with Teton County and kind of just on a whim. I had finished a master's program and had ended up renting out my condo in DC for another year. Um, And I was like, oh, I'll just try something different for a year and saw this job. And it seemed like an interesting place to be and came out and I was with the county for about a year and a half. And then during that time, I started volunteering with the radio station. And then this job came up and I became the executive director in June of 2019. Cool. Well, I know the radio station is very fortunate to have you and uh, very thrilled to have you. And when you say volunteered at the radio station, describe that. What, and what was your interest as well to go volunteer at the radio station? Well, I was a DJ and usually that's what most volunteer positions are. We have a lot of slots open right now. It's every day from 4 p.m. to midnight. We have volunteers spinning tunes. Um, And so I was one of those people and I had a show that was sort of genreless. It was kind of focused on women artists and kind of moving through the decades. So starting with early blues and early rock and roll and then going into contemporary times over the course of a two hour period. So kind of, I guess, uncovering music that may not necessarily be in, in the general consciousness. And so it was, it was fun and kind of something I had never tried before. And, and that led me to this position. Mm-hmm. Cool. And what piqued your interest of being a DJ? Had you been one before? I'd never been a DJ, but I've always been around radio. I have a lot of friends that had worked for NPR and have, have been in radio. Um, and then I am also, you know, quite interested in music. I'm a fiddle player. So I play old time fiddle and other traditional styles, um, Celtic and Klezmere. And I had also worked at uh, Smithsonian Folkways, which is the nonprofit record label of the Smithsonian Institution. And so I always had an interest in music, uh, and this seemed like a cool way to just explore that in another way. The Smithsonian has a record label. Yes. Um, and what's it called again? It's called Folkways, um, and it's Folk been around Way. for probably at least 40 years. And it's very uh-huh. cool. They have everything from Lead Belly to Pete Seeger to um, contemporary music. It's um, it's exploring folk music from all you know, of all genres from all parts of the world, and the definition of folk is is much broader than necessarily like a singer songwriter with a guitar, like Lucinda Williams, for example. Her very first album was actually a folk folkways album. So they have they sign artists that often do become bigger and move on to other things, but they also might have records and albums that are field recordings from 
a rural tribe in the Amazon, things like that. Hmm. I never, I never knew that about the Smithsonian. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I, I have a curious question because I don't know a lot about the difference between a fiddle and a violin. It's the exact same instrument, actually. It's just uh, the style of music that's played. So violin, we usually think of as classical and mm. fiddle is any really a general term for any folk tradition. Okay. So did you grow up playing the violin or did you grow up playing the fiddle? Neither, actually. Uh, my dad is a violinist and I was always kind of turned off by music. I never had a real attraction to it. Huh. until I was in my 20s and I heard old time music at a square dance of all places um, in downtown Washington, D.C. And I was like, what is this music? It is the most beautiful thing. It just was kind of um, heart wrenching. It just like it really moved me. And I had at that point started taking classical violin lessons. Just, I don't know, it's curious about it since I had grown up around it, but never really took to it. And then, but once I heard old time music, I kind of became obsessed and I started taking lessons and I ended up moving to Johnson City, Tennessee and studied at East Tennessee State University when I turned 30 for my 30th birthday gift to myself. I took a sabbatical of sorts um, and studied at their music program. At the time, it was the only old time and country music program in the country, but no, that now there's others, but that was a totally transformative experience. And I was just obsessed with fiddle music. Hmm. Now help define old time music. So a lot of times people think of bluegrass and we kind of know what that sounds like, but old time music is really the combination of music from the British Isles, a kind of a Celtic sound. You can maybe imagine that mixed with more the African rhythms of the banjo. Um, and it has this groove and it, it has roots in both places, just like the United States. You know, it's this mix of cultures, mix of uh, white and European culture and, and a mix of African culture. And it was played by, by both people. And now it's interesting. It's actually trans it's really not played so much in rural areas but there's been this folk revival and it's been popularized in cities and it's super popular in New York and Brooklyn and DC the Bay Area there's jams all over the place um, so now it's oddly this rural music but it's most popular in urban areas would there be some musicians who have brought out some old-time songs and have modernized them at this point Definitely. Um, Rhiannon Giddens, uh, she used to be with the Carolina Chocolate Drops. Um, she's someone who comes to mind. She actually has a classical background as an opera singer, but has made this music more accessible and, and, and very popular. Um, Amethyst Kia is someone who's a rising star and actually someone who I actually studied with in Tennessee. Hmm. Um, and she's also, they're not necessarily playing traditional fiddle tunes. So there's a couple different sort of veins within the old time tradition but they are still playing old time music and inspired by that have you heard is it bruce springsteen that did oh yeah um, he did an album of pete seeger songs i believe right yeah yeah um i have heard that album it's been a while though um but yeah i'd say that is definitely old time inspired pete seeger is another great example so pete seeger he's known as a folk or old time musician He's a folk musician, but very much inspired by old time music and has, uh -huh. you know, old time and folk music. It's 
it's covers essentially is what we would call today covers, but it's, um, it's, it's music. I could play a song and you can play the same song and nobody really owns the music. Um, mm. So everybody's playing sort of from the same canon essentially. And so mm. Pete Seeger pulled a lot from the old time canon. Fascinating. I, I have another curious question. You said that you were first introduced to some of this music at a square dancing event. Yes. And I grew up in Mississippi and in PE every year, we would have square dancing as part of our PE course. Yep. <laughs> Me too. In, in elementary school. I'm in not PE, really. A... You would have square dancing. Yeah. Uh, we had not, maybe not every year, but we definitely tried it. And somebody would come and be the caller or I forget what the official yep. name is. Okay. Yeah. Is there any a formal square dancing here in Jackson? Has that been brought uh, out here? Not that I know of. I mean, I'm not necessarily a square dancer. I just happened upon. No, 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 no. I'm not yeah. paying you as a square dancer. <laughs> I'm just curious, curious question. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's more Western swing here, which is also yeah. kind of cool. It, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. Our community lost a member recently. I don't remember how long, but his name was Bill. And I think he just was referred to as Cowboy Bill or Old Bill. And um, he was always at the stagecoach or the cowboy bar. Or you'd see him around town. And, man, he could swing the ladies. And he would he would hold up two fingers. And that meant that he was going to spin you twice. Or, nice. And he, he was a phenomenal leader. And he was just always there dancing. Cool. Yeah, it and sounds like fun. He would I wish I got to dance with him. Almost every song. Yeah. He was a good dancer for sure. Hmm. I, I love this. So now you just jumped in and went and volunteered as a DJ. What does it take for somebody to be a DJ? I think it takes curiosity and a willingness to share and passion for music and really not much more than that. We will train anyone. So, you know, you have to spend a little time with us and um, learn the ropes of how the board works and what to say on the air and some of the FCC rules. But beyond that, it's really about your passion for music. That is so cool. My grandmother worked at the local radio station in Mississippi. Oh, cool. And then I think my, I know my dad was a DJ at one point and yeah, he ended up working at the radio station as well. I think he'd worked there in high school. Is there a minimum age to be a DJ? No, we've actually, we have one high school student now, Beckett Lucas Griffin. He's been with us for about two years. And then uh, we've had, we've had a couple of teenagers. Um, Isaac Grossman was with us for a long time. He's oh now, yeah, uh, Isaac. Yeah. So he's, he's in now Israel. in college in Israel. Yep. Yeah. And a musician studying yeah. jazz. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. It it seems almost some ways something ha that seems unattainable, but it is so attainable to get into the world of music by DJing. Definitely. It's um it's definitely given, I mean, it's what gave me this opportunity to lead the radio station. I'm super mm -hmm. grateful for that. And I think, you know, you never know where something can lead. So it's always worth trying out something and seeing what doors that might open. And several months ago, I had Fish, Mark Fishman, mm -hmm. who has been a DJ for decades here in town with KMTN. And we have K-Hole as well. And he was saying, you know, radio is not dead. 
as what people think, even though people are listening to us today via a podcast, but even with all the different ways for people to obtain music in their life, radio is not dead. What do you see the market of radio as it is today and how will it continue to exist? Well, I totally echo what Mark said. I mean, there's a Nielsen study that showed that more Americans tune into AM and FM radio than any other medium. So that's more than smartphones. That's more than TV, internet. And I think that that's because radio is so accessible. You turn on your car, there's a radio. And people have clock radios still at home. You can access radio even on your smartphone. It's everywhere. There's no paywall to listen to the radio. Uh, so it's um, it really is the most democratic form of media. And I think there uh, is a bright future. And for us at KHOL, we've really tried to expand the role of the radio station in the community uh, and, and do that uh, by local information news. So that's really been our focus. So still maintaining our beloved crew of volunteer DJs and having a lot of great music on the airwaves, but also we know that people are hungry for information and people a lot of times get that information on the airwaves. And so that's the role that we're trying to fill right now. I, I love it. I'm, I'm glad that radio is still still alive and, and thriving in, in our community and so many other ways. Um, I usually have the radio on in my car. Yeah. Um, I, I love listening to the radio and, it, and it's a phenomenal news source as well. Absolutely. Me. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to, to figure out what that right mix is. Um, we now do daily top of the hour news briefs um, with our two person news team. And then we also have a weekly show that we produce with our longer form features called Jackson Impact. And that airs on the airwaves, but also is as a podcast um, on any of the platforms. Now, what's the difference between community radio and because you guys are nonprofit versus what KMTN is? And, and this is just out of curiosity to have an understanding of the differentiation between the two. It's basic. It's an FCC does it, distinction. So they're uh -huh. commercial radio and we're public radio, non-commercial radio. And so we abide by the same rules as an NPR affiliate. We are not an NPR affiliate yet. We might become one, although it's still, you know, not necessarily something we're sure we're going to do. But commercial radio can have ads. Um, there's a different sound to it. With non-commercial radio, it has to be completely unbiased. Uh, you can't have any calls to action. You can't say any sort of... Um, qualitative statements like this is the best restaurant you should go there you can't have anything like that um, on the air we are a service that's designed to be informative and educational i i appreciate that explanation um big difference so there wouldn't be any somebody like a howard stern on right non-commercial exactly <laughs> yeah um you could have talk show it just wouldn't be of that could you have talk show radio yeah we could definitely have talk radio i mean you'll, you'll hear um like fresh air for example oh, with yeah. terry gross um, and that's a public uh radio show but the difference there is that it's it's really coming from an educational place um so trying to understand whoever the you know whatever the issue is at hand and without any sort of opinion inserted in there okay cool 
And we also, you know, have to abide by it. And same with um, commercial radio, but FCC rules for, for decency. So no curse words and things like that during certain hours. As a father to young children, I appreciate it. Yep. <laughs> hey, Emily, we're going to have a quick word from one of our sponsors. And we're going to come back because you are involved in some other really interesting stuff, which I really want you to share. Sounds good. Did you know Teton County has to pay to ship waste to a regional landfill? And did you know by recycling accepted items, you are contributing to a healthier community? Well, Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling handles all of this dirty stuff we call trash or hopefully recyclables. So download the Recycle Coach app today, which is available on Google Play or the Apple Store. And also new to Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is a program to recycle old mattresses. Yuck. Ugh. Sleep well knowing 95% of your old mattresses will be recycled and diverted from the landfill. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Emily, welcome back. We're having a fabulous conversation about you and you're working, you're the executive director at K-Hole, but you're also involved in other things outside of your work life. Could you share with us the project that you've been working on for and how long you've been working on it and how did it come about? So I'm working on a documentary project about the song, Little Liza Jane. It's probably the most recorded folk song in the American popular canon. It was David Bowie's first single. Nina Simone sung it at the 1960 Newport Jazz Festival. It's been performed and recorded by everyone from Little Richard, Pete Seeger, Lead Belly, uh, the list goes on. And it's a documentary project that originally was conceived of as a film, but that's sort of on pause because of the pandemic. And, and other reasons. And we've reconceived that as uh, it's now going to be a series, um, a podcast series um, titled Under the Covers. And each episode is focusing on a different song. So we're wrapping up the first episode, Little Eyes of Jane. And we've talked with a do dozens of experts and musicians to find out what is it about this song that makes it so popular. You know, it's a song that dates back to Pre, you know, pre-Civil War times in the antebellum South on plantations was sung by enslaved people. But then during the Civil War, it was sung by both Union and Confederate troops. And there's even records of people singing that song, marching to the same battle, but on opposite sides. And how crazy is that? Like, there's this song that we all share as Americans. It's probably, even if you don't know it, it's probably somewhere in you. And you know, we are living in such divisive times, but here's this song that really transcends all barriers. And it's it's just a very inspiring story. 
I'm interested to listen to your podcast. So when that first episode launches, please let us know so we can help share the the word. I'm interested to know, can you share with us, does anybody know the history? Like when did the song first show its face, I guess, or its music, its tunes? Well, it's really hard to date some of this stuff, but we do know it dates back to pre-Civil War times. So sometime in the 186, early 1860s before the war started, um, there are records of this. There are also records of formerly enslaved people mentioning the song in WPA narratives. So during the 1930s, the federal government um, sent writers throughout the country to document the lives of everyday Americans. And there's a whole series of these WPA narratives called slave narratives, and they interviewed formerly enslaved people. And nine of those, at least nine of them that we've discovered, referenced this song. So we know that this was around in the 1850s, 1860s. But again, there wasn't recorded music back then. Um, and so we don't really know when, when it started. We're going off of these narratives that are now with the National Archives. We're going off of early newspaper articles. It's a lot of archival research. Mm -hmm. I, I'd be really curious to know if if there's any documentation of the song changing over time as well before there was actually recordings. There are sort of two lineages to the song. There's uh, Little Liza Jane, which is more a song that was part of the African-American tradition. Uh -huh. And then there's Goodbye, Liza Jane, which was part of the Appalachian old time traditions. And they are similar, but they have slightly different melodies. They also have different lyrics. One interesting thing about all the songs though is this character of Liza Jane, who is she? Was this a real person? And who knows if it was a real person at any point in time? You know, Liza Jane is something it's, it's a phrase, it's a name that rhymes with many things, um, train and, you know, so forth. So it's easy to rhyme off of, but in all the songs, Liza Jane is this character who's, she's an independent woman. She does her own thing. She doesn't ever want to get married. She's always refusing men. And it's usually male singers who are trying to vie for her attention and compete for her attention. So it's, it's um, yeah, there's a couple different lineages, but they do have things in common. That's, that's really neat. You had mentioned there's documentation of people on both sides of the war, Confederate and Union, singing it at the same time going into the same battle and at a time of when life can be so divisive. With your experience in music, have you seen other ways that music has brought together opposing views and brought people together, groups? I think so much of music does that. I mean, that's what pop music is, essentially. It's music that's accessible to people. It's drawing in people from all different backgrounds and falling in love with the same song. I mean, you know, some people say there is no such thing as pop music anymore because there's so many genres. There's so much music out there. But I would disagree. You know, there's Beyonce and people from all walks of life love Beyonce. People from all walks of life love I don't know, BC Boys or Michael Jackson. I think there's any number of examples of artists that are still doing this today. Yeah, it's a, you know, Michael Jackson, such a prominent figure of people of a certain era and 
how influential he was and can't, could still be in, in the world of not just music, but also movement. Yeah, it's funny. I just saw somebody wearing a Michael Jackson jacket the other day when I was at the airport returning back to, you know, coming back to Jackson um, from D.C. And uh, I mean, that's that's kind of a bold thing, given, you know, who he he is and, you know, what has later come out about his personal life. But, yeah, it's um, it, he's still so influential. People are still referencing him. I had a cousin who who's younger than, than me and. Um, I remember when he had to go to sleep, um, that's what he went to sleep to was like oh, a wow. Jackson tape. I don't remember which one I couldn't tell you, but that's what he went to sleep to was the Michael crazy. Jackson tape. I don't, I don't think that would put me to sleep quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he went to sleep to. It was wow. quite remarkable. Um, it was my sister, older sister's very first album when she was like, two or three years old, my parents bought her thriller on record on uh-huh. vinyl. So, I mean, as a two or three year old, even my, my older sister knew that Michael Jackson was where it was at. He was, I think he still is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately the whole Super Bowl issue put a bad mark on Janet Jackson, but what another remarkable performer. Yeah, absolutely. And in the world, your world of music, of playing fiddle, is there much opportunity for people to hear fiddle music here in this area? Because we do have a lot of Western swing. Yeah, there, I mean, there's Dornan's um, and then some of the local bands sometimes play with fiddle players. Matt Heron is one that comes to mind. He's a very talented fiddle player, um, but there isn't necessarily fiddle music that's just at a jam that you can go to at a bar. Um, mm-hmm. That's something. I would love to have here though. That would be great if we could get together some old time musicians and set up a weekly jam session. Do you see that in urban areas where absolutely old jam sessions? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's usually like a weekly jam session. I mean, you could probably find any number of them in an East coast city and probably one, you know, you could find one every night of the week. Well, maybe not now because of the pandemic, but yeah, they're all over. Would there be such thing as a jam session for different instruments so like just fiddle jam session of course banjo and maybe even like a flute they're all actually at the same jam session we just you Uh just call it fiddle music for some reason because usually the fiddle is the lead melody um but you'll have banjo and guitar and other instruments there playing quote-unquote fiddle music could you get amanda flossbach in there and and play a french horn (laughs) yeah that sounds great that'll be an interesting combination i do know amanda okay all right yeah i I just say that because i've known her for a long time yeah yeah she's She's, uh now at the tea time music school in the same building as us here at the center for the arts yes my oldest goes to tea time music school for his piano lessons nice if you would if you have any suggestions of how to get him to practice i would love it (laughs) find music that's inspiring to him we're working on it yeah (laughs) when i hear music like, do you hear that in the background? That's the piano. Uh, and and now if I hear some music and it's like synthesized or digitized some way, then that really piques his interest because he loves mm. anything electronic computer. That's cool. Stuff. Yeah. Nice. So we'll get him there. It's yeah. It's, well, it, it doesn't have to have to happen now. I mean, I wasn't inspired as a kid and 
came to it much later in life. Very true. Very, very true. And and thank you for that. Now, how many episodes do you think you'll have with this project about um, Little Eyes of Jane, that song? Well, originally we conceived this whole podcast as just about Little Eyes of Jane, but now it's one episode per song. So Little Eyes of Jane is the first one. Others, We're looking at what other songs we're going to do. So we're actually trying to sell it to a bigger production company. Um, and the Liza Jane song and episode is sort of the, the pilot, the proof of concept, so to speak. Can you so, some of the other songs you're contemplating? Yeah, I mean, some of them are like In the Pines. Um, that was covered by Nirvana, for example. There's Guantanamera. Um, I'd have to look at our list. There's uh, House of the Rising Sun. Um, there's so many folk songs. Our our criteria is really a folk song that not just crossed, that not just became popular, but crossed genres. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what we're looking for. House of the Rising Sun. How far does that date back? I'm not sure. We haven't we haven't delved into all of these yet. Okay. Right. But but my guess is probably similar era to Little Eliza Jane. Uh-huh. The Rising Blue. Sun Blues. I mean, it's probably a little later, actually. It's probably early 1900s is my guess. Okay. All right. That's that's awesome. I, I love it. Yeah. So for people who might need a little bit of inspiration uh, for music, uh, you're in the music world. Yep. You're, you're a player. You're a musician. I yep. call you a player, you're a musician. If somebody wanted to learn now, what would you suggest to them as far as to get it? Uh, I'd say just start with lessons. I think in-person lessons are great, or you can also go online. Um, there's so many resources out there and just commit time to it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think in the beginning, that's really what it takes is every day or, you know, as much as you can really, but lessons are key because that's what, that's how you're really gonna sort of, it's such a steep learning curve and that's how to get over some of that. So true. Um, my friend, Mary Isaac's mom, Mary Grisman Mm -hmm. posted a video of a holiday orchestra of kids. And then her comment was like, you could tell which one practiced. And at first is this trumpet player taking the solo of bringing everything in and then and then the whole class plays and it's like oh wow (laughs) the kid who played the trumpet to do the introduction nailed it I mean was phenomenal and then you hear everybody else and it is woo in many many different directions (laughs) yeah I mean they say it's like time on task but more than that I think it's um practicing your mistakes so being really tuned into what your mistakes were and then focusing on correcting them. And are you involved in any other interesting projects that we should know about? Oh gosh. Um, I think that the Liza Jane project is, is my main thing right now outside of work. Um, but I'm, you know, always dabbling in lots of things as a, I illustrate, I love ceramics. I'm always making something. Um, but Liza Jane is, uh, kind of where my heart and soul is right now. No. When you say you illustrate, define that for us. Um, sketching. Um, I've done, you know, a handful of um, illustrations for Kate Joel's stories, for example, and the pandemic. Um, I like to paint with watercolor. I, just uh, kind of exploring mm-hmm. the visual art medium. Um, nothing really professional, though. Okay. All right. Yeah. A person of many 
talents yeah and, and interests i i i appreciate that something to keep the brain going absolutely it's what yeah. keeps life interesting it it does keep life interesting indeed now if somebody wanted to reach out and connect with you emily what is the best way for them to do that um, they can email me or I do have a website with my portfolio with some of these projects featured. And that website is the other emilycohen.com. And, uh, that's kind of a play off of my name because it's a very common name. And if you Google Emily Cohen, there's so many of us. So I've distinguished myself as the other Emily Cohen, but you can also just email me at Cohen, Emily M at gmail.com. I love your, your creativity. The other Emily Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, I've actually met some other Emily Cohen's. And so uh, it's always been funny. There's at least three that I know of in DC. And uh, wow. we've met up just to find out who the other person is. It's kind of funny. Growing up, I was never around another stuffing until I moved to Jackson. And at one point, there were five of us here in town. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not a super common name. That's for sure. Mm -mm. No, but it, I think my, how I spell mine, S-T-E-P-H-A-N is, shows how my mom didn't know how to spell. So <laughs> she wanted everyone to know how it was pronounced. That's why she did. Yes. So it's very clear. Yes. Well, Emily, thank you for joining me today at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's been lovely getting to talk to you and get to know you and hear about all your projects that you have worked on um, in the past and are working on currently. And thank you for keeping community radio alive in, in our valley. And I'm sure people can listen to it wherever they are in the world. Yep. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to talk with you. You're welcome. Take care, Emily. Take care. To learn more about Emily, K-Hole Radio, and the little Liza Jane Project, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 168. Thank you, everybody who helps keep this podcast on the air. All of you regular listeners, you sharers of this podcast, my marketing director and editor, Michael Mori, of course, my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, silly guys. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.